0: Jamie is taking really naturally to being a mom, uh, seeing how she did that one-handed. So that's very impressive, Jamie. Uh, well, guys, as we as we get started this morning, uh, I was thinking about uh, Christmas songs this week because you know the Christmas songs have started in earnest. And uh, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes they just really annoy me. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the Scrooge in me, uh, but. Sometimes I just think that it's it, the cheeriness can just be so aggressive in some of these songs. I'm like, I don't want all of this right now, right? Uh, and what is occasionally really refreshing to me is the Christmas songs that are in the minor key. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen is one of them, right? Or What Child Is This? Mary Did You Know, which as a song I really don't like, but appreciate the, the key of it. Uh O come, O come, Emmanuel is another one of my favorite Christmas songs, and I love it in part because it's an a, it's a, it feels like an antidote to the aggressive cheerfulness that like hits me when I walk into Starbucks, right? But part of what it also does is it it stirs up longing in me. That that song speaks it speaks to the longing of Christmas uh, with reflectiveness and, and it's and it's thoughtful. And the longing that that song wakes us up to, that it introduces us to, uh, is so important in this Advent season. Because it reminds us that we are people who are hoping for something. That each of us has uh, a desperate, fierce desire inside of us. Right, Christmas lists are just kind of a twisted mockery of that kind of desire. And one of the gifts of the Advent season is us slowing down collectively and training our attention on the longing, the waiting, the anticipating that is in, in each of our hearts. It's a time that we wake up our sleepy hearts, our dulled hearts, our numbed and medicated hearts to remind us that we're that we're people who long for something more. And that longing, uh, it takes courage for us to engage in it, doesn't it? Because to long for something means that there's something that we want that we don't have. It's an acknowledgement that there's a distance between where we are and where we'd like to be. And that distance is pain. My question for you for this morning and for this season is, are you willing to go there? the reality is whether you're willing to go there or not uh, your heart will be going there because there's nothing like this kind of Christmas season uh, that stirs up in us all of the all of the hopes and dreams that we have for our lives but that's going to happen and so the question is not uh, will your heart be stirred with longing the question is will you listen to it and will you let the Lord meet you there or are you going to stuff it down And the text that we're in this morning uh, speaks to those things, to the context of Christmas, the truth of Christmas, as well as to the terror of Christmas uh, and our hope and our, our hope for the triumph of Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip with me to Matthew. We'll get it up on the screen as well. We're going to be in Matthew 2. This is starting in verse one. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, that I too may come and worship him. And then we're going to jump down. This is verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by the night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. That's the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you uh, came to meet us in the person of your word made flesh in Jesus. And are thankful that you are here to meet with us this morning, Lord, as your word is open and preached. We pray that that as we do that this morning, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts with longing. we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that these verses clue us into is kind of the, the truth of Christmas, the true context of Christmas. We see that in verses 16 through 18. When Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And then in verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now this this kind of episode in scriptures is referred to as the massacre of the innocents. And there are paintings about it and, and kind of all kinds of art that's been done around this. There's one really famous painting by a guy, John Paul Rubens, and, and it shows mothers grasping at their children as these soldiers come with spears. It's, it's terrible and terrifying. And the result is what we read in verse 18. uh, Weeping. Loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. There's a refusal to be comforted. And the grief for a child that passes before his parents is a grief that can never be assuaged. It's a grief that's loud, that's visceral, that's consuming, that never goes away. And That's a part of the context of our Christmas story. That the coming of our Savior is mingled here with sadness. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, should we? Because a grief that never goes away is a part of the human condition. that if you uh, aren't sad, if there aren't things in your life that make you sad, it means that you are totally disconnected from your heart, from other people, from the Lord. Because being a person in this world is hard. And it brings grief and sadness into our lives. That we all have all kinds of grief. And think about it kind of in this season specifically, the way the grief of broken relationships uh, comes kind of to the forefront of our minds, right? Whether that's with family or with friends. That's not just grief of broken relationships. It's all kinds of grief. And at Christmas, we can treat grief as this thing that's, supposed that's kind of unseemly. It needs to be pushed out of sight, right? No, no, no. This is a time for cheerfulness, I was talking to a friend who's a music producer, he was talking about a song that he'd written, and uh, a radio station, I don't know, not a radio station, radio people, whoever they are in the world, told him, oh, we will not play this song this Christmas. It is too sad. And this Christmas, our rule is no sad songs, because people don't want to hear them anymore. He said, there's enough sadness, people are over it, we're not playing any sad songs. Oh. That's such a miss. Because what sadness does is it's a gift uh, that wakes us up to our longing. That reminds us that the world isn't as it should be. That we want something more than the world as it is right now. And in fact, that the world was created to be more than it is right now. Our sadness reminds us of that. And it wakes us up to our desires for something more. Our desires for wholeness, right For relationships to be healed, for truth, to triumph, for justice to be done, for freedom and for transformation. And then if our sadness isn't waking us up to those things that we were then we replace that longing with longing for stuff or for experiences or for this time to be over so we can get into the next time, which is what? The sadness becomes a door into our deeper desire. And for that shift to happen, we've got to be willing to acknowledge the pain that's in our lives. When we do that, what we find is that pain is one of the places that we meet Jesus. I probably shouldn't say it that way. I should say that pain is one of the places that Jesus comes to meet us. That rather than praying, Lord, take this pain away, that we come to the place where we can pray, Lord, would you redeem this pain in our lives? And that our Jesus never does that in a hands-off way. But that's a prayer that he delights to answer but that he always does that in the context of relationship, of him moving toward us, of him coming toward us, of him coming into our pain with us. And scriptures don't always have uh, the why answer for the evil and the suffering that we experience in our day-to-day lives but what they do provide for us is the promise that in those places our God is with us. That he came as a baby, which means he came in total vulnerability, willing to accept and participate in that pain with us. That's the mystery and the majesty of the incarnation. And the weeping that we read about that happened around the Christmas story, these parents that are unconsolable, that weeping is a fulfillment because it shows that Christ has come to the right place. Because he's come to a world where people are in great and desperate need, and that he's come with tidings of comfort and joy. That's the true context of Christmas. And what we also see in this passage is the terror of Christmas that Christ's coming brings comfort and joy into us, meets us in our sadness. But at the same time, his coming as a king can be a terrifying thing. We see that in verses one through three of this passage. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east saying, where's he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. That word troubled there, troubled is a, a pretty calm translation of what's a really intense word. But this word also means terrified, that Herod was terrified. He was terrified when he heard that there was a king who had been born in Bethlehem. Someone who had been born king of the Jews. Because what's true about Jesus, right from his birth, right, is that he was not someone who was destined to become a king, that he was born a king. And what Herod knew is that he was not born a king. Herod, uh, well, let me just tell you a little bit about Herod, okay? Herod was not uh, ethnically Jewish. that He was not the person that the Jews wanted to be king over them. He was a king that the Roman Empire set over this area of Judea. And Herod knew that his hold on power was very tenuous. So he converted. He became a Jew. He was circumcised. He married, uh, well, he married a lot of women, which is, I don't know how that worked with the whole trying to please the Jews thing. But he did. He married into their families as a way to kind of consolidate his power. He went on this massive building spree. So the temple that we just talked about, right, in Nehemiah, when that temple was, was rebuilt, uh, what it says in Ezra is that the people wept. When the temple was rebuilt. And there were young people who were weeping because they saw the temple rebuilt and they were so excited. And there were old people who were weeping because the temple that they saw was nothing in comparison with the temple that had been. So, what Herod does 400 years later is he comes and he does a massive reno on the temple. He spends decades building it out and beautifying it, m- glorifying this, this temple. all is a way, right, of consolidating his power. And he rules for over 30 years, which is amazing longevity in this time of the world, in this highly troubled region. But what we find out is that all of these efforts to control his life, to amass power, to maintain power, didn't make him feel more secure. It made him more insecure. Outside of the biblical narrative, what we know is that uh, Herod killed at least three of his own sons because he saw them as a threat to his throne, along with other wives and relatives. Julius Caesar, who was uh, kind of ruling at the time, right? His his joke was that he would rather be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. That's how well-known Herod's cruelty was. because he was so attuned to the threats to his power. And so when he heard that someone had been born king of the Jews, his immediate response was, I have to get rid of that person. And because the wise men left and didn't tell him which baby it was specifically, he just swept them all up in a net. That's the the tragic outcome of, of fear gone awry. But Herod responds to this threat with gratuitous violence. And while while we're not like Herod, right, and that very rarely does the fear in us produce uh murder in us that the fear in our hearts of being dethroned is something that makes us fight tooth and nail to hang on to power in our lives that Herod Herod understood something uh, that we so rarely understand which is that Jesus coming into this world as a king was a revolutionary act that it was an act of treason against all other kings. That Herod's view of this, though, his mistake, where he whiffed, is that his view of what Jesus was coming to do was too small. He thought Jesus was just coming to be a political king, and what he missed is that Jesus was coming to be a king that was far greater than all the political kings that would ever rule. That Jesus came to be a king to establish his kingship over all of our hearts, over all of human history. And that, that kingship forces all of us off of our thrones. It forces us to reckon with the fact that none of us are as autonomous as we want to believe that we are. And the fear that that stirs up in us, wh- how that comes out in our lives is so often in sin. In our self-focus, and our self-justifying, and our self-righteousness and that what it produces in us and in the people around us and the world around us is death. Maybe not violently like it did with Herod, but that's what Scripture promises us, that what sin always does in our world is that it brings death. But what if the anxiety and the fear that gets stirred up when we think about someone else coming in and being king over our lives is actually a reminder of the longing that is deep inside of all of our hearts that the f- that the fear and the anxiousness that we so often experience all of our neurosis what if that was an invitation to longing for a for a good king what's true about us as people is what we so desperately need is a good king a king who will be over us who will reign over us while keeping our all of our needs at heart who would use his power to bring about our good because what we know about our own efforts to control our lives is that they're never good enough are they that no matter how much control that we think that we have, we're never able to keep out the darkness and the sadness. So what we're desperate for, what this story reminds us that we're desperate for, that we're longing for, is a good king. And it calls us into submission to King Jesus. The question is not, will you let Jesus be king? Jesus is already king, right? He was born a king. That's true about him, that he sits enthroned on high at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is. He is ruling and reigning over the universe. So the question is not, will you let him? He already is. The question is, will you submit to him? Will you submit to him as king? And maybe the question before you this Christmas is will you submit to him as king perhaps for the first time in your life? Maybe you're already in Christ. And the question for you is where in your life are you resisting the kingship of Jesus? Where are you insisting on your own autonomy and your own authority? do you recognize that that's bringing death in your life? Right, like where, where in your life are you resisting forgiveness? Where are you insisting on holding on to bitterness in your life or hatred? Where, where do you continually push against the limits that God has placed in your life? Like on your sexuality, on your money, on where you spend your time. Right, that God has give us, given us limits around those things as a gift. And, and are, there, are there places, maybe not the, are there places, uh, where are the places is the better question. That you're saying to God, no, 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 I, I, I don't want your authority there. Because what this passage calls us to is to submission to our good and our loving savior who would say the fact that you're refusing to let go of your rule your autonomy in those places of your life that's harming you it's hurting you would you come to him and and submit to him and that can be a scary thing but it's something that's, that's, that's worth doing Because of what we see in this passage, that what it teaches us about the triumph of Christmas. We see it in verse six. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a description of our King Jesus. That He's a king and that He's a shepherd. And the promise is that nothing will get in God's way of bringing that about. That nothing can thwart God's plan of Jesus being king and of Jesus being a shepherd. And we see that kind of all throughout this narrative. As, G- as, as God works to, to protect this innocent, vulnerable baby who is, who is Christ the king. he protects him and and brings him to the place uh, where he can fulfill his own mission of bringing the kingdom here on earth and that mission is a mission of deliverance from the tyranny of sin the tyranny of self to set up a kingdom where he is a good king a perfect king a king who is kind and merciful who is all powerful and and one of the things, I, I mean, I was meditating on this week is that Jesus as king does not rob us of our agency in the world. Sometimes we talk about uh, God's sovereignty like that. You know, like, well, I'm just gonna sit back and let, let go and let God, because God's in control. No, the scriptures never talk about it like that. That the fact that God is king, do you know that God, God is, Jesus is king, he, he has called us at the same time to be uh, kings and queens under him, That's what happens in the creation narrative Is that God sets up Adam and Eve as a king and as a queen To rule and reign over this world Under his authority as the ultimate king And so when we find Jesus as a good king We're able to come to him and find that he actually dignifies us And gives us agency to move out into the world To take his reign and kingdom of light out with us Don't be paralyzed in our choices that the sovereignty and the goodness of our king is what frees us to live, uh, to live and to make choices in the world around us. We can do that with confidence because of the triumph of our king, that he has come and has accomplished our deliverance. He's a good king. He's also a shepherd who will shepherd my people Israel. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd guides, he leads, he cares for, he looks for those who are lost, he binds up the brokenhearted. And what John tells us is that our good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. But that's true about this, about this king Jesus. That's how we know that he can be trusted. That's how we know that he's good is he laid down his life for us. And what Romans says is God who did not spare spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? If Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you, and what that tells us, what that that allows us to do, Dwell securely in is that there is nothing that we can do, nothing that can separate us from the love that God has for you. So, in this Advent season, would you allow God to stir up your heart with longing? Would you be willing to look at the places that you feel sad? be willing to ask God, God, what is that showing me? What is that teaching me about the longings of my heart? Would you let Jesus meet you there? And would you let him stir up longing in you when you confront the fear and anxiety that you're experiencing in this season? That when you experience those things, would you bring them to Jesus and ask, what is it that I'm longing for here? Where is it that I'm insisting on on being uh, the ruler of my life? What would it look like for me to submit this to you? And that as we engage with the Lord in this place of longing, that what it brings us into is the already and the not yet of the Advent season already, it brings us into the already and the not yet of the Advent season. The already, which is that our Jesus has already come. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, right? That he's already come as our king, as our good king who's died and risen again uh, to bring his kingdom and to birth it in our hearts, to birth it in this community. And yet we know that there's a time where he's going to come again. That that's a time that we look forward to together a time when the kingdom will come in its fullness, when justice will be done, when the world will be put right and remade as it should be. And our longing invites us to live in both of those places, in the already and in the not yet. Would you pray with me? Father, I just confess that I am, Lord, that we are so often uh, people who are afraid of our own hearts. Mm. Lord, I think about the uh, the pain that my friends in this room have, ex- have experienced. Just a little slice of it that I know. Uh, I know why it's hard and scary to lean into that. And Lord, I ask that you would be gentle with us as we even acknowledge those things before you right now. Would you uh, bring them up in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, so that we can experience you in those places? Lord, in the fear and the anxiety of all the things that we're trying to control, Uh, would you be gentle with us as a good shepherd is in calling us to submit those places of our lives to you? Uh, Lord, and as you meet us there, would you teach us to sing uh, with longing